You're listening to the Sheep Spot Podcast, a show for hand spinners about making yarns we love. Hey there, Sheep Spotters. Welcome to episode 29 of the Sheep Spot Podcast. I'm Sasha from Sheepspot.com, where we offer diverse hand-dyed wools to adventurous hand spinners, and we also give you the information and support you need to make those wools into beautiful yarns. I am so happy that you're with me today. Today we are talking about the long wools. So um, I have, and I don't remember what episode it is, is I've already done a spotlight on the fine walls. Today we're going to be talking about the long walls, and eventually I will work my way through all of the major groups of sheep breeds and their wools. You can find a handout about the major groups of uh, sheep breeds and wools in relation to episode... That's episode two of the podcast where I just generally talk about the groups of sheep breeds and wolves. Um, so there's a handy dandy handout, which will give you kind of a beginner take on the different wolves and what they're useful for. Today, we're going to just focus in on the long wolves, which are amazing. So I'm going to cover breeds to look for washing and prep suggestions for these wools, and some tips and tricks about spinning these fibers, uh, and some advice about how to best use them. So let's dive in, shall we? All right, what makes a wool a long wool? So um, long wools are characterized by a long staple length, so from three to six inches in BF in BFL, that stands for blue face luster, um, probably the most popular of the long wools, um, all the way up to 12 to 15 inches in the teaswater. So long staple and a very distinctive crimp pattern. So um, think about, uh, if you can think about, the crimp in a merino lock, which goes sort of back and forth at, and, and those turns in the crimp as it goes from back to forth, those turns are kind of sharp angle. In a long wool breed or in most of the long wool breeds, and I'm going to talk about the exceptions. Um, the lock actually has the structure of, uh, a, a curl, so either a kind of open wave um, pattern or in some breeds, even a tight curl like a ringlet. Um, BFL, for example, blue face lusters have um, very tight curly crimp. Um, in the Teeswater and the Wensleydale, those are kind of ringlet-like and breeds like the Border Lester and the um, the Lincoln 
have a more open kind of curl structure, but they are all they are all characterized except for a couple that I'm going to talk about um, by that very distinctive curved crimp pattern. Romneys would be um, the exception, and they have, and also Perindale a little bit of an exception, in that they have a crimp structure that looks more similar to what you would find in a fine or a medium wool, where you've got those sharp angles as the crimp moves back and forth. But um, but they also are characterized, they have lots of um, the English long walls, uh, lots of the blood, the genetics of the other English long walls in them. And they do have good long length of staple. And typically these locks um, are kind of triang triangular. So they're long and narrow and they come to a point at the end from a s slightly wider. So think of a, um, I've just forgotten all my geometry terms, but um, <laughs> think of like a long, narrow, pointy triangle. That's, that's what they look like. So um, the most celebrated of the long wools are all pretty closely related to each other. And they're all from England, from Great Britain. But there are some long wools from other parts of the world. So um, our guess, our best guess about where these sheep came from is that they were brought to the British Isles by the Romans. Um, and of course, the Romans went in lots of different directions. So um, some of those genetics probably went other places in Europe. So let's talk about the British group first. So um, there's a breed called the Leicester Longwool, sometimes called the English Leicester, and that is, or the improved Leicester, sometimes some people will call it that. And that is a more modern version of um, a sheep that no longer exists called the Dishley Leicester. And um, the Dishley Lester was bred in the 18th century by someone named Robert Bakewell uh, in England. And he was really the first farmer to adopt what we now think of as modern scientific breeding practices. And Bakewell was the name of his estate, I believe. Um, sorry, Bakewell was his name. Dishley was the name of his estate. Um, so that's why they're called the, uh, the Dishley Longwell, Longwalls. And so those sheep no longer exist, but they sort of evolved into what's now called the Lester Longwall. And, um, and the Lester Longwall is kind of the progenitor of the larger group of British Longwall breeds. Um, the fine wools, the progenitor is really the, the dominant genetics in the fine wools come from Merino. In long wools, the dominant genetics come from Leicester long wool. In the down breeds, the dominant genetics come from South Down. So all three of those groups have a kind of originary breed um, and that then was crossed with other local sheep to develop into um, the other breeds in the group. So... The breeds in the English Longwall group are, in addition to the Leicester Longwall, the Blueface Leicester, which we've talked about a lot and which you're likely familiar with 
because um, they are the they grow the softest wool, the finest wool in the English long wool category, and there are lots of them. Um, they are doing very well because they're used in a specific kind of breeding, sheep breeding, and um, so they're often bred with use um, blue face luster. Uh, rams are often bred with use of other breeds to produce good market lambs. So there are just plenty of blue face lusters around and they grow lovely, lovely wool. Um, the other breeds that you may come across in this group are the border lester, the Cotswold, and the Cotswold have these very distinctive kind of curly um, ringlet for um, forelocks that are kind of hilarious to look at, look at. Um, and the gray-faced and white-faced Dartmoor. The gray-faced is listed as a minority breed by the Rare Breed Survival Trust. And most of these breeds are um, endangered to some extent. So with the exception of the blue-faced Lester, the border Lester is listed by the Rare Breed Survival Trust as at risk. Um, the Cotswold is as well. Um, and there are more of the Dartmoors. Um, and then there's a breed called the Devon and Cornwall Longwall, also classified as, as at risk. Um, the Lincoln Longwall, and this is the, <clears throat> the breed that grows the strongest, coarsest wool of the group. They're listed as vulnerable by the Rare Breed Survival Trust. Then there's the Romney. And Romneys are a British breed, but they've been very successful in um, New Zealand and to a lesser extent in Australia. So no, they're not on anybody's um, list of, of, of endangered breeds, but they are great. And they're a great place to start for your first fleece. And then there are the Teeswater and the Wensleydale, and they are the ones that grow these incredibly long, very lustrous ringlets. They're just crazy looking, um, but it's divine. It's really divine wool. So the breeds, the long wool breeds that come from other parts in the, of the world include the Gotland from Sweden and from New Zealand, the Coopworth and the Perindale. Um, both of which are kind of favorites of mine. And they are both um, Romney crosses. So they're now their own distinct breeds, but they were developed. Um, they're, you know, half Romney in their genetics. And they're also considered long wolves. They don't um, have as distinct a crimp structure as the British group, but um, but they do have nice length of staple. So uh, which of these breeds are you most likely to find in commercially prepared fibers? Um, so the most widely available is the BFL. Um, also available are the Coopworth, if you know where to look, the Gotland, um, Perindale, Romney, Teeswater, and Wensleydale. All of those you can find in commercially prepared um, almost always top for reasons we'll get into. 
Um, more unusual are the Border Lester, the Cotswold, um, the Grayface and Whiteface Dartmoor, Devon and Cornwall Longwall, Lester Longwall, and the Lincoln. So if you want to explore those breeds, you're probably going to need to actually buy a fleece. The good news is that um, there are lots of Border Lester um, breeders who grow um, who raise border lusters with the hand spinning market in mind. And so you can get very pretty easily at fleece shows, you can get beautiful border luster um, fleeces, at least on the East Coast. I'm just going to have a sip of water. Hold on. <clears throat> the other breeds are a little, a little trickier to get your hands on. Um, so if you're, but if you're looking for stuff that has been commercially prepared, um, BFL, Coopworth, Perindale, Romney, um, there definitely are, uh, there's at least one wholesaler who with Gotland, um, and, and a couple with Heaswater and Wensleydale as well. And I talk about the wholesalers just because that's how dyers get their hands on stuff. So if you're, if you're looking for, um, hand dyed fibers, that is an important factor. What, what's available from the wholesalers. Okay. So let's say you get one of these fleeces. Let's talk about how to wash it. So because of the lock structure, so in a, think about a fine wool or a medium wool fleece. Uh, it's hard for dirt to actually make its way all the way down to all the way down the lock. So typically in a fine wool or a medium wool fleece, you know, there will be half of it will be dirty. And then the part that has been closer to the sheep will remain clean. Um, with long wools, it doesn't really work that way because the fleece is so open. So it is possible for dirt to work its way all the way down the lock. Um, but the good news is that these fleeces wash really well because precisely they get more dirty because they're open and they also wash more easily because they're open. So a lot of the dirt will wash out easily um, and a lot of the VM will fall out during the washing process. So, and for reasons that we're going to talk about, uh, long wool fleeces are usually combed. So that means that you can really comb out any VM that is left over after the washing process has happened. The other nice thing about these fleeces is that you can wash them in lingerie bags. You can, you can actually bunch them pretty tightly in lingerie bags. Um, and, uh, you don't have to worry a lot about kind of babysitting the lock structure. The lock tips are easy to find and um, pull out from the from the rest of the fleece. So when you're combing, it will be however you wash it. Even if you don't use lingerie bags, you're going to be able to pull out the locks fairly easily. Um, now, the staple length may differ within a single fleece. So you may want to be, have an eye out for that as you are kind of sorting through the fleece and getting it ready for washing. And my advice would be to 
uh, combine locks that are the same length and to do that at the washing stage because um, that's going to minimize your comb your combing waste. So um, you're going to get the most waste while combing if you are working with parts of the fleece that are different length. Um, you may also want to take out any sections of the fleece. And again, this is sort of the pre-wash sorting. You may want to take out any sections of the fleece that are really badly matted. That sometimes does happen with the long walls. Um, but I would advise just doing a little test wash on any matted section. Just take pull a little of it out and wash it and see if that helps. Because um, sometimes washing it will really... Um, help a lot and it will end up not actually being as matted as you might have feared. Um, <clears throat> long wool fleeces are quite heavy and dense, so be sure that you're working with small amounts at a time if lifting uh, heavy weights is an issue. And um, let me just see if there's anything else I wanted to say about washing them. I think I think that that's about it. Okay. Good. So if you have a fleece and you, um, and you wash it, you, and it depends. Typically long wool fleeces are not coated because the coating process is not great for, for long wool fleeces. So that's something to look at actually in your selection process. Um, you know, don't find a long wool fleece and um, see that it's been coated and think, oh, that's the one I want. You know, be sure you actually look at it carefully because they, the um, fleeces can mat under the coating more with long wool breeds than with some others. Okay, so as I've said, um, long wools are typically combed. And that's both because combs are the best tools to deal with the length of these fleeces and because combing these wools and spinning them worsted really shows off what's best about them. So these are dense, shiny, uh, in most cases, drapey fibers. And so, you know, why not just make them into dense, drapey, shiny yarns? Um, these the staple length is going to make combing, uh, sorry, is going to make carding uh, kind of iffy. You may find yourself with a huge snarl on your hands. Um, you can cut the staples if you are absolutely determined to card, but I wouldn't really recommend it. And you might be able to flick shorter versions of these locks, but again, it may be hard to get all the way um, into the length of the lock, uh, and to get it completely opened up with a flicker. So combing, I would say is the pretty much the way to go with these fleeces. Um, and these are the fleeces for which multi-pitch English combs were really designed. Um, <clears throat> you can comb them with hand combs though, um, you're just going to need to go maybe a little more slowly than you would with a shorter staple length. Be patient, um, especially if you're working with a really long staple. And 
basically go slow and be patient is my kind of, that's my advice for everything about these wools. It's going to be my advice for spinning them as well. Now, when you're combing, you may find that it's useful to keep a spray bottle on hand with some liquid and um, this is called combing milk. There are many different recipes for combing milk and you're going to find the one that you like the best and that's easiest for you. I tend to use just plain water with a few drops of lavender essential oil in it. Um, when you are combing these locks and they're opening up, they have a tendency to kind of poof up in a big way. So you'll have this like little um, kind of compressed bit of wool on your combs and then you'll start working with um, with it and it will suddenly be much larger than it was when you started. And if it's staticky as well, you can really um, make the combing process more difficult. So the combing milk both cuts down on the static, on the static and it also makes the combs kind of glide through the fiber more easily. If the plain water and lavender oil doesn't work for you, you could try um, mixing in a little bit of olive oil, a little which may go rancid if you leave it around for a long time, or mineral oil, um, which is less likely to go rancid. Or you might add a bit of unicorn fiber rinse which is um, a unicorn product. It's made by the same people who make unicorn power scour, and it's kind of a little conditioner for your fleece. So you can um, put a bit of that in some water and then just spritz it on the locks as you are working. Now, I am going to do a little long wool combing and spinning demo on Instagram Live to go with this episode, and that's going to be Wednesday, June 20th at 6.30. So absolutely tune in for some tips. You'll need to follow me on Instagram to have that show up in your feed. And it will be live at 6.30 and then it'll be available for 24 hours after that. If you are listening to this episode from the future um, and you've missed the demo, I would recommend Beth Smith's very detailed discussion of working with the long walls in the Spinner's Guide to Fleece. Um, and that chapter will be a big help to your spinning as well. Um, so in terms of spinning suggestions, my biggest suggestion when you're working with these walls is just slow down, be patient with yourself. Um, you may find it at first, until you get a little practice, you may find that you have some difficulty managing your fiber supply. I would advise you to just periodically stop and um, sort of rearrange things and get things back in order and then start to spin again. I would also um, advise that you start with a larger whirl because these wools are so long that they're going to require very little twist to hold together. And if you put too much twist in, you'll find that you um, have a very almost wiry uh, singles and you don't want that. Um, these are 
most of these wools are stronger wools to begin been, to begin with. They have a larger micron count. So you don't want to sort of add to that by also cranking up the twist and um, turning them into cord. So less twist, less twist, less twist. Um, slow down and move your hands further apart than usual because otherwise you will be pulling on both ends of the same fiber and that's going to make drafting quite difficult. So let's talk project suggestions and here I'm going to take it kind of um, breed by breed. So with most BFL that's available commercially these days, you can use that for anything that you would use a fine wool for. Um, and for the, you know, the softest BFL that you can find, the BFL that's really at the soft end of that breed's range, you could, you know, you could use it even for cows or for, um, baby things. Um, obviously, you know, you're going to have to assess your own yarn, but, um, really BFL is, um, is very versatile. Um, but, you know, the advantage of BFL is it's quite soft, but it also has this nice long staple, which means it's going to wear really well. It's less apt to pill and it has a beautiful luster to it. And it takes dye in a, in a very, um, wonderful way. I really love BFL. So as, as I have said many times on this podcast. Now let's talk about Romney, Coopworth, and Perrindale. Um, these really could be used similarly to other medium wools, um, like Corydale, Bond, um, Montadale, things like that. So you could, um, make garments that you would layer over something else. Um, or if you're, um, less kind of sensitive to wool, um, maybe for hats or mittens, you're going to see um, quite a bit of variation in Romney um, and also in Coopworth, depending on where the wool comes from. So um, Romney breeders in North America tend to be going for a softer fleece. This is, um, it's kind of the opposite, or as I found it, it's the opposite with Coopworth. So Romney breeders in North America are going for a softer fleece than, say, Romney breeders in New Zealand. And in my experience, Coopworth works the opposite way. So um, I sell some really lovely New Zealand Coopworth that um, I would say you could do anything with it that you could do with Corydale or um and Perindale as well can be uh, can be quite soft, um, relatively speaking. So you know Lincoln, which is the strongest, the coarsest of these walls, um, that can go up to like forty microns or higher. So that is going to be more appropriate for maybe um, a woven fabric that you're going to use as a household textile for rugs for things like that. Um, now, Wensleydale and Teeswater, um, they're very closely related. So I believe that Wensleydale is, um, yeah, Teeswater comes first and then Wensleydale is um, a cross of Teeswater with some other sheep. Um, but they have very, their fleeces seem very similar to me. Um, 
and I would probably use them in the same way. So again, for garments that I'm going to layer over something else or um, also they're quite wonderful spun two ply and knit into lace. So you heard it here first. Well, not really. Really, Bestsmith is the pioneer of that particular combination of the um, long wools and, and lace. But but I learned it from her, and I um, I do think it's a good idea. All right. Um, I hope that that has been useful. I hope it has piqued your interest in the long wools. That is it for me this week. Next week, we are going to dive even deeper into the long wools with a breed spotlight on one of the non-English breeds in this cat category, the Perindale. And if all this breed talk is making you curious and um, kind of excited to start your own breed study, may I recommend the Sheepspot Fiber Club as the most convenient way to get new-to-you breeds delivered right to your door along with detailed breed information. You can customize your membership in lots of ways. You can opt for dyed or undyed fiber. And if you choose dyed fiber, you get to choose among four different colorways for each shipment. You can choose to join for six months or the whole year. You can pay at once or in installments. And you can even choose to get 200 grams of fiber in every shipment instead of just 100 grams. Members also get access to sampling videos. I sample each fiber a bunch of different ways. Um, we're going to have a Slack community, a private Slack community, and I will do a live question and answer session about each breed. Um, this year, there are also going to be some additional bonuses that I haven't divulged yet. So memberships in the club go on sale only once a year, and this year they will be available for a week starting on July 9th. If you'd like more information and a reminder when the club opens, please head over to sheepspot.com slash fiberclub and leave your email address. And again, if you are listening to this in the future, hello, future listener, The and the club is already closed for 2018, you can still go to sheepspot.com slash fiber club and sign up and I will notify you when memberships next go on sale. So thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you have enjoyed this little peek, sneak peek at the long walls and that you are going to give these fabulous breeds a try. I will talk to you next week about Perindale. And until then, go spin something. All right, bye, guys. See you then. Bye-bye. <music>